Grapple fans, and welcome to a, I don't want to say a blast from the past, but a fixing of the timeline, maybe, shall we say, in the Meltzer Five Star Project, an ongoing series in which me, your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher. We were doing that all the way through 2019. I mean, God knows we released a lot of episodes that year, Simon. <laughs> Busy times. Yes, and then suddenly the whole world decided to stop after that. Which was good timing for us, I suppose, in, in some ways. Yeah. And we then took this um, concept and we run with it. Uh, but along the way, there were a couple of old matches that we weren't able to locate at the time. And we weren't able to discuss them. And we have found a portion of one of those matches. So just like we did with when the full version of the Sheep Herders versus Fantastics match came out on the WWE Network. We're giving you that catch-up episode, essentially. If you're playlisting this on your Spotify, you can bring this one all the way up or all the way down. Depending on which order you do your, which chronological order you do your episodes in. But after all that pre-spiel, Simon, why don't you tell the people what the match is that we missed out? It is a six-man tag match in Old Japan between... Oh, God, I've only written the first surnames on my notes. I'm going to be bad at this. It's Jumbo Saruta, Masanobu Fushi, The Shit House, and what's Yatsu's first name? Yoshiaki. He was in Yoshiyasu. the five-star match where he was with the invading Ricky Sh- Choshu against oh, right, Saruta yes. and Tenru. One of the first Old Japan matches we covered. Speaking of Tenru, he is on the other side, also with a young Toshiaki Kawada, a pre-yellow tights Toshiaki Kawada as well. Zebra print all the way. <laughs> yeah. And what's Fuyuki's? Uh, well, he went through a number of first names over the years, but at this point he's Samson Fuyuki. Samson Fuyuki. Who's wearing leopard print? For a while he was Ricky Fuyuki in tribute to Ricky Choshu, who was his favourite wrestler at the time. Oh, okay. So... If there was anything that really got us super excited about, maybe not the Five Star Project in general, because we'd already seen some really good stuff by then, but All Japan, which was such a large proportion of the like 10 to 40 or 50 episode numbers, it was the six-man tags, really, between Saruta Goon of Saruta, Fushi, and Akira Tawe against the other three Four Pillars of Heaven, they were part of the Super Generation Army of Kawada, Mitsuharu Masawa, and Kent Kabashi. So that was exciting in and of itself, getting to watch some All Japan, almost like a prequel to those matches, in a way. Because this is the tag team match between the top two stables, I suppose, of All Japan at the time, and the key rivalry at the top of the card between Tenru and Saruta, where they're more contemporaries of one another. Saruta was always a couple of years senior, but in the tiering of the All Japan single stars, pretty much from their debuts, it was Baba, Saruta, Tenru. And now with Baba taking a back seat and the Triple Crown becoming the de facto main title of All Japan singles division, 
it was Saruta and Tenru in a battle of one versus two, former teammates, now rival stables, which really becomes the the story of the follow-up feud for the Super Generation Army. It's kind of all Japan's pattern. There's always like a troop behind the one and two guys. Sort of kind of like how AEW is like very stable-based now. I think that's really based around Japan's sumo culture, where it's all about being part of particular stables and teams. The Tenru left the world of sumo to join the world of pro wrestling because there was a dispute over which team he was supposed to be a part of. Like they wouldn't let him join another team or something along those lines. I don't know a lot about sumo, but that's just like with the round robin tournaments coming from sumo culture. A lot of it was, you know, Japan taking the North American format of pro wrestling, but applying Japanese sumo wrestling and other sporting traditions and the Japanese mentality to it. So kind of like uh, like a big shocking transfer. So Jumbo Saruta is in many ways the sole Campbell of professional wrestling. If you want to call it that. <laughs> I would say actually it would probably be more like when, uh, what's the Sonny Boy Williams, the New Zealand guy, when he would switch from rugby league to rugby union and back. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good shout. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would probably be more along those lines, really. I think it's because this is a truncated version of the match. We didn't see the build-up essentially what we're seeing is the 12 minute finishing sequence of the match i'm not sure how long it was and so the thing that i sent as a text to you when i watched it was this match is fast yeah i i lost my place in note-taking several times during this to me it's very much like you know when you go to like your grand's house for like a really nice sunday dinner and like, that might be like a little soup starter if she fe- if she's feeling particularly fancy. Then it's like your main where you have to eat your vegetables, and your mum like wants to make sure you eat your vegetables and stuff like that. But you know, you get through it because you know at the end it, it's grandma's homemade apple pie. This is just all apple pie. This is the grandma's apple pie of pro wrestling, is what you're saying. Correct. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. What's also different i found watching this match was that whilst the previous one was a real sense of the the tearings within it and that it was and also the generational conflict and that they're all equal parts importance to everyone involved this really did feel more like the underlings of the leader that are just kind of there because they're with their team like that's the team they're a part of do you get where I'm coming from? Like, it means as much to Toshiaki Kawada and Kent Kabashi that Misawa, that they are the better team. That was more ideological, whereas this is just sort of rival teammates. It's almost like the difference between that one's like a local derby, whereas this one's sort of like Man United v Newcastle back in the mid-90s. Mm. Or like City-Liverpool now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. But Man City-Man U or Liverpool-Man U will always mean more to them than Man City v Liverpool. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking like number one and number two. But my point is when it's one and two, but there's also an emotional element to it. Like we've always said, it will always mean more to Liverpool if they won the league defeating Man United in second place than winning the league defeating Chelsea or Man City in second place. Yeah, true, true. Good point. Or an FA Cup final. It's sweeter if your FA Cup final win is against for Man United is when it's against Liverpool rather than when it's against Newcastle or Millwall or Spurs. Yeah, bold of you to think Spurs would make finals these days. Well, they they wouldn't win them. (laughs) (laughs) 
ah, oh, that was just a little dig, unnecessary. But no, like, I, I get what you mean in terms of underlings. There's very much a, an aura in this match around Tenru and uh, Saruta, partly because of their size, but partly because of like some of these guys aren't uh, who they are in their final forms yet. Yes, Fushi has a different colour set of trunks, but he's not quite receding enough yet. He's not quite <laughs> as needly as he is in later matches. And Kawada has some presence, but he's not black and yellow Kawada. He's not He's not there yet. He's, he's sort of Charmeleon. He's not Charizard yet. He's gone through his first evolution, not his second. Okay. I get where you're coming from there. He's still the spunky, hard-trying, hard-working. He's not even... He seems... He looks... He's lighter, but he actually looks shorter, weirdly, in this match. He looks like a junior. Especially because his teammate, Samson, they're dressed the same... Uh, Samson's got slightly longer f- hair, but Samson in particular is wrestling like a junior heavyweight. He's sprinting all over the place and doing high-flying moves. And this is also around the time that Kawada had that tag team match with Tenru against Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy, where Kawada is just being utterly destroyed on the outside of, with his knee. And that sense that he is he might be one for the future, but he's still... He's, he's like lower at this point than Kenta Kabashi is during those six-man tags. Like, he's a lower in the pecking order even than Kabashi's in that one. But it also feels like he's on sort of equal pegging with Fushi and Fuyuki, and maybe less so Yatsu. Like, I think Yatsu's like the the most senior of the four supporting players, I suppose. And he's bigger, visibly bigger as well. With Fushi, you're right, we don't see as much of the Fushi shithousery, and I think that's specifically because he's not so visibly the lowest on the pecking order, trying like a vulture trying to pick at the carcasses. He is essentially an equal to Kawada, if not superior to Kawada and Fuyuki, by being the junior ace at that point. Yeah, and also just from like a physical stature, he, he does... He seems like more like he belongs compared to like being against like the giant that is Tawe Kabashi with his thick, thick legs and like broad shoulders, and like well, Masawa had like not in terms of height but in terms of just mere presence. Yeah, and he does still. We still see some great moments, not so much in cheating, but in him being surprised by someone or yeah. putting up a front of being tough. My, my two, of my favorite moments are. I think Kawada hits him with a slap or a drop kick or something, and it staggers him so far back, and it surprises him, and he's trying to stay on his feet, but he he happens to fortunately also fall towards his quarter, and he's able to tag in Saruta. Yeah. And another moment where I think it's Saruta's got a submission hold on one of the opponents, or he's going for a pin. I think it's a pin, actually. Fushi does the coming out and staring down his opponents to stop them from interfering, but then when he's making his way back to the corner, he's stumbling and falling over himself like it was yeah. It was all a false front. If if one of the other guys had bothered to actually come at him, he wouldn't have been able to stand up too much. He would have been just shoved aside. <laughs> he's got that massive adrenaline come down, kind of like when Chris Jericho squared up to Brock Lesnar, and he's like, I'm so glad he didn't actually bloody try anything. <laughs> and one of the things I was thinking about is I wish... I mean, I keep thinking that we're going to see a trio's title in... AEW at some point it seems inevitable that maybe that could also be the foundational point if it's still going for Adam Cole having to pick his side between the Undisputed Era guys whatever they're going to end up well Red Dragon I guess is what they're being called right now or the Young Bucks like they announced there's going to be a trios tournament and he's got to pick which side he's going on yeah that would be like a natural end to 
that well a natural like part of that storyline and there are a lot like i alluded to earlier there are a lot of factions there it makes sense like you could have like christian going oh let's go for this title instead guys with like Jurassic Express, maybe that being a source of dissension. I would like them all to watch these matches more because it's not so much about intricate tag moves of three-man finishers and sequences. It's about them working cohesively as a team in ways to support one another. And that it's still about in-ring one-on-one conflicts. And as we've said, the tiering system makes it intriguing. There's a different story being told when it's two equals against when it's when it's Kawada or someone against Saruta and being able to surprise him with a move. And then when Saruta gets them, then it's the fear of, well, if anyone's going to get pinned, it's going to be this. And then the real excitement when suddenly Tenru and, and Saruta face off against each other. You know, I would like more of that than intricate sequences involving six-man tag moves and everyone doing a, a spot into another spot into another spot. It's basically, in a nutshell, more FTR style than it is Young Bucks style. And yeah, like tag team wrestling, I like that. It's got a, it's got more of a competitive nature than the showman nature like you could refer to in uh, PWG matches, for example. Although, obviously, that's a bit more of wrestler's playtime. Yeah, but that PWG style is maybe the most popular style in mainstream wrestling now in both the wwe and AEW, it felt like when john cena was doing his us open challenge he watched a lot of pwg in the build-up to it but yeah i guess it's that sense of them actually working as a team to support one another rather than as one single unit both things can work but just a sharing of them like when there's suddenly a pier six brawl is it's just like it's almost like you can't do that to my mate you can't do that to my mate (laughs) It's like zonal marking versus man marking. Like they're, they're, it's very much a man marking system. It's like you get that guy, <laughs> like the Neil Warnock thing. If he scores, if he, if someone else scores, I don't blame you. But you've got that guy. There was more limited interactions between Tenru and Saruta, I thought, but I did enjoy the ones that we got. And the, when they did fight each other for the first time, it was fought at such again a frantic pace. Like, this is so, it seems quicker than the other ones, but maybe that's because this was a shorter match. We don't know. We've seen 12 minutes, whereas all the other six man tags we saw were like 30 minutes to the, the second one being 50 yeah. minutes or so. So they had to space it out a bit more. Uh, and because we're only seeing like the, la- the last portion, it's hard. To, we don't know what the pacing of the match was prior. All we're seeing is the frenzy at the end where like everyone's desperate to actually get it over the line and. There are quick tags, there are big moves, and it's just a constant stream of that. Whereas in some of the later ones, we do see a guy getting worked over for ages and ages and ages, and then the quick tags. that like They set the table, whereas we're just eating right now. Yeah, you got the sense when it, we joined the action, it was Kawada hitting a back suplex on Fushi. And I think that Kawada had been the face in peril for a long period. That was the sense that I got, and that Kawada was the weak link of the team. But really, I think it was a team of two weak links and one strong link, essentially. Yeah. Because I think it was Fuyuki that ends up taking the fall in the end of it against uh, Yatsu. But yeah, Fuyuki and Kawada were almost, they were like the Rockers as a Japanese tag team. And I never could have thought of Kawada as being that because we know him so much for kicks and slaps. But, you know, he does a Pescado at one point and him and Fuyuki running wild. Fuyuki in particular also reminded me a lot of Soyoshi Kikuchi. Mm. The sort of doggedness and quicker pace and pitbull mentality that he would get overwhelmed, but he'd try his best even against Saruta, he'd be able to hit him with what he can. Yeah. 
He's just like a sprinting corner clothesline. That was a really cool spot, actually, where they were going up against Saruta. So it was like, two of us can maybe take Saruta out. And so they whip Saruta into the corner. Fuyuki charges with a clothesline. Kawada charges with a clothesline. Saruta ducks that clothesline. But then Kikuchi immediately hits a flying cross body on him. Yeah, like it's they're going to use speed to overwhelm him. Sort of like um, the A-Wings versus the um, AT-ATs in episode five of star wars yeah i guess well yeah yeah they're, they're just swarming him they're overwhelming him they're like using their like speed to get round him and like chop him down to size yeah oh i just found that note yeah it was after, after fuyuki went for a top rope cross body and saruta just knees him in the guts yeah. <laughs> vicious like home run hits him <laughs> out of midair it's one of those ones that you see like in the ufc and it was a spot that would that would be replicated uh, after it happened to Nakamura in a legit MMA fight of someone going for the legs. It's not exactly the same, but going for like a wrestler's tackle and the other guy just going, well, I'm just going to knee you in the face. Yeah. Which is, if you're throwing your face at my legs, yeah. fine, I'll yeah. do it. I guess the Jorge Masvidal, I guess we'd call it now after what yeah. happened. Although that was, no, that was more a running knee than it was a, uh, a guy dipping down to the knee. But yeah, Fuyuki was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Fuyuki in this match. At one point, he also catches uh, Saruta in a fisherman suplex, which looks very impressive. Yeah, he impressed me more than Kawada, actually, in this match. There was a moment where Kawada and Tenru did, like, an awkward Enziguri spin kick combo. It didn't yes. seem to make a lot of sense, but, yeah. I don't know. But my, I think my other favourite moment was Tenru, like, literally just staring a hole into Saruta, like daring him to come in whilst he was about to break up a submission hold. Oh, yeah. Like Saruta's team had a submission hold on him and Tenru just walks over very calmly, eyeing Saruta the whole time, like, are you going to stop me? And then just... (laughs) Step to me, motherfucker. Step to me. Maybe there was, again, there was that sense that the teammates didn't mean as much to Saruta or Tenru than they do to Misawa and Saruta. Again, because I think it is more of a generational conflict. Like our entire existence is at threat, not just this is my nearest rival. Like, these are the people that are trying to take me out, like, permanently. (laughs) They're not just a challenger for my title, they're a challenger for my career, for my status. There are a couple of other spots I really enjoyed. They did the... Tenru tried to do the classic Ric Flair spots onto uh, Yatsu, where Yatsu climbed to the top rope, Grabbed him for a press slam, but yes, it was actually too heavy and just landed on him. <laughs> it's all just cut. Like, Kawada hits his, like, uh, I, I call it like a spinning leg lariat at one point. Um, I was focused more on Kawada because I knew who he was. So, obviously, I'm like, oh, early Kawada. But you're right. He doesn't, he, he's not a driving force in this match. And it is jarring when you consider black and yellow Kawada. Nor is he meant to be. And that's the thing. They're playing these roles so perfectly that that was... What was so fascinating watching Kabashi in the early 90s, seeing him as the underdog in these six-mans, but then seeing him as the ace figure, like the step above everyone else, essentially, in the tag match with Kikuchi against Crawford and Furness, who were also the perennial rivals of Kawada and Fuyuki at this point for the All-Asia tag team titles. Oh, okay. Like, they're using their teammates uh, as part of their own psychological warfare, which is fun in and of itself as a different way of telling the story I really enjoyed. Um, Tell I didn't look. 
didn't like. Yatsu's dumb version of a figure four leg lock, where he just kind of sat on him. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe it makes more sense. It's harder to like turn someone over if they're just sat. If on the body them. weights on yeah. there. But yeah, com- like knowing what a figure four is, it did just look odd. I loved at one point again, just to give some more Fushi love. He did a charging drop kick, which is just gorgeous. And that was what was so funny about Fushi. It's like he can fly, but he can fly in the way people from the 70s could fly. And so he's not of a match of the faster pace of the younger ones now who can do the high flying and everything, but they can fly higher and maybe move a bit faster. But he still has that skill, coupled with wiliness, technical ability, and just a desire to find a... He'll look for a cradle or something else within the context of winning the match. But yeah, that's pretty much the end of it as far as the stories go and and like i said i would love a lot more six-man tags that were structured like this than the common more spot focused three person like triple team moves that we have under the super click like if we had a trios championship these are the sort of matches i would prefer or at least i would like to see an equal number of matches like this that are about the emotions and one-on-one conflicts and supporting each other or not than let's do crazy spots and go at a pace that's so fast. which And this was fast-paced as well, but go so fast because there's six of us and we can just go 100 miles an hour. It's like they're going, in this they're going like 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and probably after a well-built-up portion that we didn't get to see before then. Yeah, and like there's no like contrived, intricate, like, oh, someone's got to like put him on my knee and then I've got to like hold the ropes open for someone to like tope onto him so I can backbreak her. Isn't that cool? Look at like the YouTube highlight stuff. Yeah, people having to be out for like extended periods of time, just not doing anything whilst the stuff that's going on in the ring is happening. And then just suddenly when they're needed at the last second to break up a pin, they do so. Whereas in this, it's like there's never a point. It's essentially you've got to sneak a victory when you can, which is how this match is won, that Yatsu catches Fuyuki with a surprise power slam. And it's like the brawling is still going on on the outside. It's not like everyone's been laid out and now it's down to these last two. Yeah, there's very little non-apron selling by like the people who aren't in the ring. They're always there and ready. No one's like knocked to the floor for ages. And then you see their head peek over for that crucial breakup yeah thinking like there's two more spots and then it's my cue <laughs> essentially so that's all i have left to say about the match i think it was a lot of fun what i saw we can't give it a rating one way or another but you can see where those six-man tags that we absolutely adore from all japan like the the not the 50 minute one is probably the match i go to the most after we did the five star stuff as like background stuff background noise whilst i'm doing like ironing or something i can look up and that match is still being awesome yeah so it doesn't really hit those heights because like i said it doesn't feel as important like those matches felt significant this one not so much but it's still a lot of fun it's one of those things that must be a fantastic main event to see in krakowin hall or or those sort of places yeah i mean no one talks about the new japan six-man tags and eight-man tags and ten-man tags that take up all of their like the vast majority of their house show circuits pretty much all their shows until the big shows where they have their singles matches that these matches are supposed to build towards but these ones feel more fun than any of the new japan ones to be fair i don't really watch much of the uh, never six-man tag matches either Though this year, the because it was Yoshihashi's first title, they actually did seem to mean more for once. Mm. 
<coughs> because they meant more to Yoshihashi than they'd ever meant to anyone else who'd ever held those belts, essentially. And so that's, yeah, I mean, I'd be okay with the trio's title if it did come to AEW being the title that changes hands a bit more frequently. I mean, we're, we're preemptively talking about how we book something that we don't know is going to happen, but yeah. the fact that they keep, like, a trio's record and they talk about them as trios, like it's its own discipline, and obviously the Mexican wrestling influence of that as well, and Chikara's king of trios and everything, so, you know. And Ring of Honor used to have a trios tournament as well for, for a brief period of time. There was one of those ones, it was the, the Second City Saints with Steve Carino, because Ace Steel wasn't there, so it was CM Punk, Colt Banner, and Steve Carino. Oh, okay, cool. And Steve Carino would do this bit where he had, like, a whole team of people to do his his introduction. Like, he'd have his own ring announcer who'd list off all these people that he would he's beaten and all these titles that he's held. And then he has, like, his own young lions, like his son and someone else, throwing streamers for him as he makes his introduction. So, for the trios tournament, Colk Banner did one where he handed him a list of uh, people he would be happy to have a three-way with. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and CM Punk just admonishing him for some of the more dodgy ones that he says. <laughs> so I just want to talk a bit about Samson Fuyuki because I was like, this guy's good. Why did this guy not get involved in anything other than this in the five star stuff? Why is this the only one that we ever see of him? Yatsu, who's had two, you know, has never really impressed me much in any of these. He's just sort of there. But what the reason for that was, uh, essentially, he went with the Tenru exodus to form Super World of Sports. Oh, okay. Which died a death very quickly, even with the WWF's participation. And it being funded by a billionaire... I said, I don't know if he was an optometrist, but like it was a very rich man who must have come with some sort of laser surgery or glass lenses or something that funded the promotion with Tenru. But then when that died a death, Tenru then formed WAR and Fuyuki followed him there. And there, Fuyuki was like the top heel for a very long time, feuding with Tenru. Oh, okay. And in WAR, they did have six man tag team titles when that was more of a rarity. And what's so fascinating, though, is that Samson Fuyuki was part of a team there with Gado and Jado. Mm. And I think Fuyuki's influence might still be involved in wrestling to this day in Japan wrestling. Not necessarily for the positives, but he's a fascinating guy when you read more into it. So he goes to WAR, works as like the top heel against Tenru for a long time. After that, he goes to FMW as well, where he does stuff with the... Gado and Jado there as well, feuding with Atsushi Onita and other people. Okay. Uh, getting involved in the barbed wire and everything. To the point that he ends up becoming the booker of FMW. And a lot of people really disagree with his style of booking and his philosophy of booking. And he always saw Japanese wrestling as moving, needing to move towards the more sports entertainment stuff of angles and everything. Oh, okay. To the point that after FMW died, he formed World Entertainment Wrestling. W-E-W. Right. The other thing that he was notorious for was not sticking to stipulations, which was a big problem in Japan. Like, Terry Funk was never quite seen the same when he came back from retirement. You know, when he came back from retirement, it wasn't for all Japan. It was for FMW and IWA Japan and so on. Yeah. For example, one time he lost to Terry Funk in a Loser Leaves FMW, but then he, like, would just come back. 
he lost a hair versus hair match to Tenru, but instead of him shaving his head, he got Gado and Jado to shave their heads. Right. And he became so notorious for not following the stipulations that legitimately, when he got cancer, a lot of people suspected that this was like an angle as well. Oh, Jesus Christ. The only reason they didn't think it was an angle, ultimately, was that Mitsuhara Misawa was involved in it. Right. Like, Misawa, like, publicly spoke to him. And when I read about it, because he did die in 2003 from the intestinal cancer. Wrestlers from all the different promotions that he'd been a part of at different points, including all Japan guys, were at his funeral that visited him at his hospital before he died. Mm. When he had his funeral, there was a big... People did, like, a dance that his team was for. He was actually, uh, when he was in FMW, the stable that he had was with Chris Jericho, was a member of them as Lionheart. Oh, okay. And I think that's basically the only other stable faction that Jericho's ever been in, other than the Inner Circle. And here's another fascinating thing. He might be one of the few people that won a match after he died. Because he'd been building up a, a match, and he'd done an angle with Shinya Hashimoto for WEW. Right. And he died before the match was supposed to happen. And so Hashimoto and another guy came to the ring with his ashes in an urn. It was like a barbed wire match. And they both just put threw themselves into the barbed wire and lost by forfeit. And Fuyuki's ashes were declared the winner of the match. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's mental and sweet. I don't really know how to like process that information. So Fuyuki lived a life in the years that he was alive. He lived a life. And, you know, when you look at Gado's more North American style of booking, I don't know if he got that as an influence from Fuyuki or if Fuyuki and him were just kindred spirits and that's why they became teammates and partners and friends in real life. That's up to debate. But, yeah, he's someone that we might have to try and look him up on We'll have to do some sort of WAR, just out of curiosity, to watch what that was about. I want to do some Hustle at some point. Yes. I just was reading up about Hustle, and that is fascinating. That that was where Takada went after he did the shoot style, too. From the most realistic to the most unrealistic <laughs> that wrestling's ever been. is really interesting. But yeah, that was a... I mean, that, we've, we've talked a lot longer for this highlighted match than we have for some of the actual... Full-length five-star matches we've discussed. Uh, yeah. Do you have any final words about it, Si? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, just, uh, it's a great... If you're not sure on like, the big length stuff and you're like, a little apprehensive about watching Six Man, maybe start here. Yeah, that's a good idea, your way actually. Because yeah. Yeah. we have talked about one of the future episodes of Let Me Tell You Something we're going to talk about is like different types of match you would recommend to people for, to get into different things. But that's a very good example. Like This might be a good little starter pack for your late 80s, early 90s, or Japan. But anyway, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with their recommendations for some Samson Fuyuki matches, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times during the story of Fuyuki that I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N at the start of Animal Prince. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Now then, when this goes out, Wrestle Kingdom will have happened, as will Danielson Page 2. 
So we've got to assume at least one up to three of the next weeks of Let Me Tell You Somethings will be five-star matches. But if not, we will be back to you with Match of the Week. Our first Match of the Week for 2022. And we are going to ECW to see the match that maybe is one of the more... When people would try to champion ECW as being the best promotion in wrestling in the late 90s, they would maybe cite more than anything the matches between these two men as the reason that ECW, whether they were right or not, was better than what the WWF and WCW were putting out at the same time. What match are we talking about, Simon? We are talking about a ECW TV title match at Living Dangerously 1999 between the challenger, Jerry Lynn, and the champion, Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Yeah, scars will never go away, but skin gets stronger though If darkness wasn't all around us, how would the stars glow? Yeah, full bright, long nights, how we get here though? Star die, star die, star die it's just stardust, so stardust And my flow can't drifting in the cold, right? Everybody asking if I'm alright We don't die They told us the hell wasn't on earth, oh what a lie Remember in the stadium, you look me in the eye I look at my phone so much today, I'm going blind I just threw my phone away, my mental on the line I'ma throw the drugs away one day to clear my mind haven't seen my sister since like 1999 Universe with me now, I know that I'll be fine I know the stars are in me now, I know I'm gonna shine I am just a thought in a universe of mine I am only living just because the star died But if I trust there's a reason It's just stardust that I'm breathing, yeah, yeah. It's just stardust giving meaning what if I jump in a deep? We don't die. They told us the hell wasn't on earth or what a lie.